So our scripture reading this morning is from two different passages. Uh, the first one is from Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, and then also John chapter 7, verses 38 to 39. So Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 7. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And then John chapter 7, verses 38 to 39. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. May God add his blessing to the reading of these words and open our hearts and minds to their meaning and to what Pastor Wes has to share with us this morning. In 89, there was a Reader's Digest article uh, in which a 747 was halfway across the Atlantic when the captain got on the loudspeaker. Attention, passengers. We have lost one of our engines, but we can certainly reach London with the three that we have left. Unfortunately, we will arrive an hour late as a result. An hour later, the captain made another announcement. Sorry, but we lost another engine. Still, we can travel on two. I'm afraid we will now arrive two hours late. An hour later, the captain made uh, another announcement. Guess what, folks? We just lost our third engine. But please be assured that we can fly with only one. We will now arrive in London three hours late. At this point, uh, the, uh, one of the passengers was very upset. He was furious. And he said, for Pete's sake, he shouted, if we lose another engine, we'll be up here all night. Now, obviously, the man had no sense of what it meant to power the jet to stay in the air. 
But you wonder if his comment is any different or any more ridiculous than the person who believes most of the commercials that we see on TV. If you look at all of the, uh, the ways in which people sell us on things, this will give you energy. This will give you, you know, all the nutrients that you need. This Powerade or Gatorade or whatever else aid, they're all aids of some kind, uh, some form of trying to help us be something we will never be without it and to sell us on it. And we get caught up in feeding on things that really don't satisfy our thirst. The, uh, the whole idea of water in scripture is quite profound. Water is actually mentioned a total of 722 times in the Bible, more often than faith, hope, prayer, and worship. In the Bible, it doesn't take long for water to be mentioned. Right away in Genesis 1, 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. In Revelations, waters are mentioned again in the scripture that Wes read was this image of a river flowing. So last week we talked about this incredible description of the city reaching from the East Coast to, Den to Denver, from Mexico to the U.S., uh, to Canada, and 1,400 miles high. Remember all of the imagery of that, the jewels, go back to chapter 21 if you want to refresh your memory on that. Interesting in that description, there wasn't anything about, uh, there wasn't anything really about, about natural creation or the environment, like trees or plants and that kind of thing. That was all about the city. But here we find today that the city within it has this imagery of beauty in trees and rivers. And the significance of it is that this river flows out of the throne. Some people call it the throne of grace in some references. That this, this river is flowing out of God. And when this river flows out of God is a river that flows, Jesus is part of the waters. Jesus is part of that grace that is flowing out from God, that love that is pouring out from God. And so you have this very interesting imagery uh, of water uh, as being life-giving. St. John Damascene summarized Water is the most beautiful element and rich in usefulness and purifies from all filth. And not only from the filth of the body, but that of the soul. If it should have, if it should have received the grace of the spirit. And that is that grace. Water has the power to heal. It's seen in the stories of Naaman, the Syrian cured from his leprosy, in the waters of the Jordan. 
and the annual miracles at Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Water has the power to purify, to provide deliverance. It can also destroy evil and enemies in the stories of the flood and of the flight of Israel from Egypt. 70 to 75% of the earth's surface is covered with water. Roughly 70% of an adult's body is made up of water. And about 85% of the adult brain uh, is made up of water. It's essential to life and all living things need water to survive. So why do we as God's children sometimes take this gift, his gift of water, for granted? Jesus, the source of living water, extends to all who thirst. And so that is a very general sort of concept. But the question is, how do we, how do we begin looking at, um, at the things that, and what the grace, the water of grace, the water of, of God, the water of heaven, the water of the throne, the water that flows down and flows out from God. What does that mean for us and what does it do for us? And what does Jesus mean when in fact he was talking with the woman at the well who had been through feeding at a lot of other troughs and it was not satisfying because it was sinful and broken. And Jesus instead says, I will give you the water that will make you thirst no more. What did he mean by that? He meant that he gives a water that satisfies and brings healing and changes everything about the relationship with God. But everywhere we look, and in sometimes even when we look within ourselves, everywhere we look, people are trying to f- find some sense of purpose, sense of belonging, a sense of a reason for living, a sense of of how can I be more in control? How can I direct things? How can I make things better? How can I make sure that my life increases and gets better? And uh, Jesus basically has the answer to that because people have for years spent time looking for all, looking for the water that satisfies in the wrong places. The amazing thing is that when people get really thirsty, they're willing to go to a lot of different fountains to get their thirst quenched. Everything but actually going to the fountain of God's grace and God's love and going to the fountain of Jesus Christ. We look for easy solutions, don't we? Just the quickest way to get better on something. The the most effective way to shortcut having to do hard work. Uh, we are prone to these gimmicks of, if you use this product, you'll do it in half the time of some other product. And we're always looking for shortcuts. We're always looking for an easier way. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples, you know, if you want to live, you will die. If you want to gain life, you will lose your life. It's why he was saying, look, this is an upside-down kingdom. 
that what we're talking about is not relying on the ways of humans to solve their own solutions, but turning back to the creator and recognizing God is the one who gives life and God is the one that is our hope. Our, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for a reversal. And so I will just give you a preview. Here's a, a spoiler alert. We're headed into a series coming starting in September, running all the way to, uh, to Thanksgiving, the weekend before Thanksgiving. And we're going to have a lot of unexpecteds. And the premise of that whole series is that we think we know how God should be running this thing. We think we know how God should be operating uh, and, and how he should be solving things and what he should do and who he should be blessing and working with. We think we know all about that. That gives us some sense that we're in greater control and we've got a handle on this. And no matter how much we do that, it just doesn't work. It never has. We blow it and we think it's going to, we've got command of it. And then we, when it falls apart, we turn to God. And it's like we only want God when the fourth engine goes out. And the reality is that God wants us all of the time in every way. And that's what he was saying to the woman at the well. He offered her a water that would quench her thirst forever. And this account of looking in the wrong place can also be reflected in John 6, 32 to 38. Let me just share this one. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So here you have not only water, but also bread. Uh, verse 33, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will, will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So the bottom line is this. We can have all kinds of other answers. And you can read story after story of some of the great secular and atheistic uh, philosophers they were that have ever been in history. And in many cases, you see them upon the closing in of their death asking for help from some higher power. Why? Because we are so prone to say we've got this until we, it's clear we don't, and then we're willing to hand it over. And, and the reality is that we, 
We don't like, nobody has liked over the last three years, two and a half years or, or more, of, of the struggle with, because we, it's something we couldn't control. And so we argued and battled in politics, in communities, in all kinds of ways. We got caught up in this anger and battling. And the bottom line was this. What we were really angry at was that we didn't have control. And maybe if there's a message for us in all of this, is that if the church is waiting for everything to fall into the right alignment before we can truly have life, we've missed the point. We are called to be a river of God in this world. And if the church shrinks back, if believers shrink back from the hope that we have coming out of heaven, the one that fully meets uh, our thirst and the one that feeds us, the, as Jesus said, the bread of life, if we truly engage that, we will have a very different image in this world and effectiveness in this world of bringing others to Christ and to an understanding that it is in Christ that our hope is found. Revelation in general represents God's life-giving presence. And the river of life is always with us. The rest of uh, Psalm 46, 4 and 5 says much the same thing. God, the Most High, makes his dwelling place, his people, holy. God is with his people. And in John 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given. Jesus was still with the disciples. And so the Holy Spirit was coming to the disciples and to all believers as a means of that life-giving water that truly meets all of the thirst demands. Ecclesiastes gives us this, this even more vivid imagery of all is meaningless, 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 meaningless. All is meaningless except for that which flows from God. And so when we look at Psalm 1, 1 to 6, and it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the, sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And in John four thirteen to 14, Jesus said to the woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give 
will never be thirsty again. And so uh, we really understand uh, that this call of God and this description in Revelation, which was written, as the same message was written thousands of years before that we find in the Old Testament, is a consistent message that is coming to us. Springs of water. Uh, there's an old hymn that I love um, that um, uh, indicates uh, that, and it was, we looked for it, I couldn't even find it in the life song, but you know the song, uh, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found, but to the blessed cross of Christ on day, on day I came where springs of living water did abound. And you will remember, in fact, I would guess that some of you could sing the chorus line, drinking from the springs of living water. Happy now am I, my soul they satisfy, drinking at the springs of living water, O wonderful and bountiful supply. There is something that is very significant about God's living water in our lives. Let me just share a few of those. First of all, living water provides us with eternal life, provides eternal life with, and this is important, with abundant joy. I do recall that I remember growing up, and I was pretty young, my dad and our family went to an evangelistic meeting um, somewhere close to Goshen, and I remember the imagery of hell that was talked about. And I'm not criticizing that because that is a reality that's there. And it was, it was pretty powerful for me. Um, but I also um, grew up with this idea that, that everything would have to be so serious. And as you know me as a congregation... Uh, always being serious is not my greatest strength. Always being very formal and, and uh, you know, speaking in a way that is, is you know, has no humor and no, uh, there are no, there are no funny stories that can be told. Everything about it is serious. And I'm thinking, if that is what you grew up with, if that's what you expect, if that's the measure of the church today, there are going to be one of two things in heaven. Either the people will be there and discover that they missed the joy for so, so long in their life on earth. Or secondly, they won't be comfortable in heaven because it's too joyful. I don't know which. All I'm saying is the ability to express joy is something that is sometimes hard for us to pair with faith. And I would just reiterate over and over again, living water should bring us great joy. Not just funniness, but happiness, contentment of the heart. Joy. We should be rejoicing. 
We should be rejoicing. And, you know, scripture even goes so far, and this is hard for us, that even when we're in, in conflict uh, or with what's going on in the world, or when we're under persecution for our faith, or when we're under trial, uh, when we're under threat of disease or disasters, that we find our joy and we find our peace from that living water. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven for it. It is, has come to us through Christ himself. And so we are really called to live out this and to experience the living water flowing through us. Jesus told us in John 10.10 that the reason he came was that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Secondly, living water enables us to go and flow to others. The Bible talks about bearing fruit as followers of Christ. In John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You'll notice that in the imagery of the verses read that these trees were bearing fruit every month. In other words, there was no season in which they were dormant. They were constantly bearing fruit, constantly bringing life. And we get so used to some of these difficulties and struggles in this life that we hold off and we wait and, and we struggle with the fact that it's out of season. Um, and, uh, and what a great summer this was, by the way, for gardens. Um, if you would like to hear joy and rejoicing, talk to my wife. Uh, she loves the bounty of the garden. And we have enjoyed that a great deal. But every season is a bounty for us as people of faith. Uh, and so we are called... And, and it goes on to say in the verse, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. In other words, live into that bounty. Um, we're told by Jesus to abide in him. Uh, and in doing that, we will be able to do great and powerful things. And so uh, we're really called to speak of living water in the same way that Jesus did. Not just as water that meets our physical thirst but the water of the Holy Spirit that meets our deepest heart's desire and, and brings us joy. Third, check your well and make sure it's the Lord's. And I would just say this, honestly. If things have not been going well in your life, things haven't been the way you wanted. If you have struggled with asking, where has God been? Why hasn't he helped you with the plans that you had for your life? If you have struggled with frustration with where things are at, you know, truly ask this question, where is your life coming from? Is it coming from living water that comes from Christ? Or is it coming from the expectations of the wells that we choose to go to instead. Test what kind of water you're drawing from. 
make sure and check the well and make sure it's of God. And I would just say very quickly, if you want to check and see if you're drinking from a well that is not of God, check it with scripture, check it with other believers, check it with whoever is a mentor or a disciple, whoever you most respect and, and admire in the faith, go to them and say, can you help me do an assessment? Am I drinking from the right sources? And help adjust that. Check your well. Make sure it's the Lord's. It's interesting. Um, Greg Easterbrook writes in the New Republic. He says this. Recent studies indicate that men and women who practice in any of the mainstream worship services have an above average longevity. Fewer strokes, less heart disease, less clinical depression, higher immune system function, lower blood pressure, fewer anxiety attacks, and the worshipers are less likely uh, to be prone to suicide than the population at large. These findings come from the medical schools and schools of public health. In the most striking finding, Dr. Harold Kenneth Koenig at, of Duke University Medical Center calculated that with regard to any mainstream faith, lack of religious involvement is related to mortality. Um, those who worship less than five, uh, uh, those who worship less live less, he says. It's like in the equivalent to 40 years of smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. In another study conducted mainly by researchers at the University of Texas, it noted that those who regularly attend worship services lived an average of seven years longer than those who never attended. Being connected to the body of Christ is good for your health. It's like being connected to the tree of life or the river of life. All that's just to simply say, everything about this world is going to draw you away from the church. Everything that is not of God is going to feed you and feed you and feed you until you are disconnected, isolated, and pulled away and feel absolutely lousy about yourself. And we need to stand up against that and say, no. We are loved and invited to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross who gives us our value and establishes us as people that he died for. And I really believe that we've got a message that we have been too lax on, too lazy on, too apathetic toward, too unmotivated to do anything about. Our call as a church is to rise up and say, there is a living water and it is for those around us. It's for all who will come to the throne of grace. And let that water pour out. And so um, we are really called to help people come to be free from the dependencies that rob joy. And so fourthly, I invite you to check for leaks. Some of you are very, very deeply committed, but there can sometimes be leaks. You're leaking water, life-giving water. You're letting it flow out because you aren't taking it in fully. 
And I think that's part of the challenge. People leaving the church in record numbers because it's not meeting their immediate thirst needs. They're drinking from the wrong wells. Their, their life is hemorrhaging spiritually because they're disconnecting not only from other people and from community, but disconnecting from God. And finally, I want to encourage you to record the results of living water in your life. Write it down. Make a note of the th ways in which God has given you new life and restored you to hope. Write that down and then pray over it. Pray over it. Don't just, don't just say, okay, I made a note. Go to prayer over that and pray over it again and again. And make it a focus of, of, of actually rejoicing in what God is doing in your life. Jesus said, out of his inmost, innermost being shall flow the rivers of living water. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we become rivers, not cisterns. You know, it's a, there's a natural example that is found in looking at two seas in Israel. One is the Sea of Galilee and one is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee freely receives and gives out water. It has an abundance of life, nurturing many kinds of fish and plant life. The water from the sea is carried by, the, uh, by way of the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea only takes water in and does not give it out. There is nothing living, no fish, no plant in the Dead Sea. The powerful life-giving waters of the Sea of Galilee become dead when mixed with the hordes of waters, hoarded waters of the Dead Sea. What's the point of this? The point of this is that we are called to flow out, not just receive. Because if we just receive and we just turn to God when we need a little help here and a little help there, we're going to just stagnate and become a place that growingly less life is able to be sustained. But if the waters of the living God flow out of the throne of grace into our hearts and our minds and into our lives and they flow out to others, it will bring life to us and to others as well. A.J. Gordon, one of the founders of Gordon-Conwell Divinity School, told of uh, being uh, out walking, looking across the field at a house. And there beside the house is what looked like a man pumping furiously uh, at one of those hand pumps. As Gordon watched, the man continued to pump at a tremendous rate. He seemed absolutely tireless, pumping on and on and on without ever slowing in the slightest. Truly, it was a remarkable sight. So he walked up to investigate it. As he got closer, he saw that the man at the pump was not a man after all, but a wooden figure painted to look like a man. The arm was pumping so rapidly, uh, was also hinged to the elbow, uh, to, uh, and the hand was wired to a pump handle. The water was pouring forth, but not because the figure was pumping it. It was an artesian well, which basically means that the water flow was pumping the man. It wasn't the pump pumping the water. It was the other way around. 
when you see someone who is at work for God and producing results, recognize that it's the Holy Spirit flowing through us and working in us, not our efforts that give the results. And so look at these words at the end of John, or in chapter 22, the very end of the passage that Wes read. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. So in other words, this has been a, a vision that was given to John very clearly and explicitly by an angel of the Lord. And the angel says, look, this has been the vision, but these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, he's giving testimony to the fact that God is wanting people to embrace this vision of, of the heaven and vision of God's life-giving waters. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, the verse says, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon, it says. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. In other words, if you want to understand this is not just some dream that you can write off and say it's not significant, there would be no need for an angel of the Lord to give testimony to the fact that it was a vision given to John to write about and celebrate and to inspire godly living. And so it's both a warning to prepare and be ready. It's also the hope of the coming of life and joy and peace. In Streams of Living Water, Richard Foster told a story of Billy Graham. You didn't, may not know this. He was a great preacher, right? Oh, just wait. In 1955, very early in his career, he was preaching in Cambridge, a very esteemed academic location. For three nights, he tried to make his preaching academic and enlightened, but with no effect. I mean, it was, it was a snoozer. It was boring, and he wasn't reaching anybody. Graham finally realized that presenting the intellectual side of faith was not his gift, and he then went back to preaching a basic message of Jesus rescuing us from our problem with sin. Foster wrote these words. He said, the results were astonishing. Hundreds of sophisticated students responded to this clear presentation of the gospel. It was a lesson in the clarity and simplicity of the message of Christ that I will never forget, Foster said. And so we are called. We are called to not just live for the time that's coming, but we're to bring in the living waters here and now. To quench our spiritual thirst, we must learn to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because in John 4.23, it says, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Has that sunk in? Are we that kind of worshiper? 
Will we worship in spirit and truth? Will we make a difference the moment we walk out of here today? Will you go out and look for opportunities to let the life-giving water of Christ flow out of the throne of grace into your heart and out to others? I hope so. I hope so, because the river is here. And I invite the team to come on up. The river is here. And notice what it says. This is going to rock your world. Some of you have maybe not danced a dance in your life. I have, but not well. I hope I'm better at it in heaven. But I do believe that we are called to recognize that the river of life, the living water of Jesus Christ is here and it's for us now to flow through us and to others.